0: You're listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I'm your host, Mike Petchy. What's happening? What's going on? What can I get you? Can I get you something? You need a beer? You need some cereal? <laughs> it's in the morning now. If you're drinking a beer right now, you're in better shape than I am. You, you want some cereal? want some suntan lotion? What do you need? Welcome to the brand new episode. Uh, it's you and me today. I'm hanging out. Going to catch you guys up. There's been a bunch of stuff going on. Here on our end, a bunch of shit. I was just in production, just did a big production. Um, I went and I saw an assload of movies. So we're going to talk about movie stuff on this episode. And quite frankly, I have been so busy that I haven't had time to book another guest. (laughs) (laughs) Full transparency. Let me ruin the illusion. (laughs) Uh, But no, the truth is, is I, I haven't had time to catch up with you guys, my friends, and sort of talk about what's going on in my life. And I know you guys like it. You tell me you like it all the time, and maybe you're a bunch of fucking liars, but maybe maybe you actually like to just hear this asshole talking to a microphone by himself. Well, that's what you get. That's what you get today. Um, and I have been uh, continuously getting a lot of requests from you guys to uh, give a movie. I don't, I don't want to say movie reviews, but movie suggestions and talk about the stuff that I've been watching um and uh i've been watching a lot over the past couple of days i think it's part of the whole post production sort of depression which has been incredibly amplified because you know whether or not we want to admit it we're still sort of locked in this covid thing um which still sucks sucks balls as they say um and uh i was really feeling it hard this week uh, because I had the potential, I had a potential to go home. I actually had a potential to go home and see uh, the parents um, because of a job. I think Gina potentially is going to take a job, which means that she gets to go back to Boston and, and then, you know, I just freeload and go for the ride. Um, but COVID still an issue and, you know, the parents are older and it's flying on an airplane and whether or not you're going to be quarantined and there's all sorts of other stuff mixed into that cloud of craziness and i really haven't been thinking about uh how much how long it's been since i've seen my family i just haven't it's been one of those like out of sight out of mind things and you know we i'm sure you guys feel the same way where you look at your your calendar and you're like what the fuck it's been a year holy shit well it's been probably like two and a half years now um since i've seen my family and uh i very close to my family. When we were in Boston, we were always there, always hanging out. My family has always been its own community. Growing up, um, we grew up on a street without any kids. So I grew up on a street that was mostly, it was like a busy street, so you really couldn't go out and play on it. And it was uh, mostly older people that lived on the street, adults and I had a bunch of like handyman and mechanics live next door. It's probably why I got obsessed with that for a while. And then uh, there was a few older kids that lived across the street, but they were out of there. And um, so there really wasn't any uh, kids our age that we can go out and play with. And so growing up uh, as the oldest of four, uh, we were sort of camp family. You would go to school, but then you'd come home and then everything would happen at home. And uh, we would take our summer vacations on the Cape and that was very much camp family as well. And so uh, for the first, I'd say 18, 19 years of my life, everything was circling around family stuff. You know, the relationships that we build. My brother and I uh, shared a bedroom until I was like 19, you know. So we were in the same room for years, longest roommate that I've ever had. Um, and you know, there's all sorts of family dynamics and family fucking drama and all sorts of shit that happens within it. But it was always sort of a family unit. We'd rent movies, come home and watch movies. Uh, we'd play together. We'd go out together. We'd do stuff together. Um, and everything was a surprise, surprise. Everything would sort of circle around food and meals and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, when I decided that I was going to move to Los Angeles, I knew that a big part of that decision was deciding that i wasn't going to be seeing the family as much uh which makes sense you know like there hits a point where you're like okay what am i fucking 43 now so grow up kid right um and uh moving to california was intentional so that the career would go to a certain point and uh and who knew right none of us knew what would happen with covid none of us knew that scenario Um, So I hadn't really sort of emotionally examined that. Um, And then I was kind of forced to last week and it sucked. It was, it was kind of like, fuck, I can't go back because of everything that's going on. Um, And it's been like two and a half years. God damn it. Uh, And you know, there's a big part of me that is bummed out that I decided to make the move right when my dad retired. Like he literally retired that year. I went up and I did a speech for him at his retirement party. And then he was out and I was gone. I literally went to California and my dad's always been around. He was always around on the weekends, but he was a hard worker. He was always working, always doing stuff. Um, And I never really had the opportunity to just be like, Hey, you want to go to the bar? You want to go do, you know, like the laid back stuff. Hey, you want to try out this restaurant? Like stupid shit like that. You know, I would do that with my mom because my mom was always around, um, because she was a stay-at-home mom, which by the way, is one of the toughest jobs. (laughs) So, uh, anybody out there giving shit, any of the feminist movements that are like, you should be doing more. Yeah. It's one of the more fucking tough jobs. You know, it is, it's a brutal fucking job raising four fucking kids and, and, uh, becoming a CEO of that business to only have the kids all leave. (laughs) Like what's the reward at the end? They all fucking leave. Um, so yeah, I never had the, uh, opportunity to do that stuff with my dad, which is kind of a bum out. And what we were trying to do, uh, was, uh, we were just going to plan trips. So after we moved out here, we had a trip planned to go to Europe and we wanted to all hang out for like two weeks in Europe. And that's always fun. I, I enjoy traveling with my parents. I've, been fortunate enough to, uh, go to like Italy and go to different places with them. And they're a lot of fun. As I crossed into my twenties, they became more of my friends than they were my parents. Um, and, uh, you know, that makes them great travel companions and, uh, all that shit obviously was shut the fuck down. Uh, once COVID happened, you know, boohoo, right? But yeah, it's the truth. And I say boohoo because I really haven't sort of addressed that stuff emotionally and, we just wrapped doing this big production which sort of thrust you into an exhaustive uh i don't want to say depression but you're in an exhaustive state um and then to sort of be sort of confronted with these decisions can i go home can I? i'm i not i can't go home and so all that stuff sort of like built into eh, i got i got bummed out i got bummed out for a while um and it seems that that happens a lot lately out here and I don't know why that is. And when I came, when I lived back in Boston, I would hear about people in Los Angeles. It's like, everybody's got a fucking therapist. Everybody's dealing with their their shit and everything is like depressive. And you're like, why the fuck is this so depressive? It's the, you know, the sunniest state and there's beaches. And, you know, why are all these people bummed out? I get it. Like the, the industry itself is such a fucking, such a bastard uh and the up and down sort of bipolar like shit's happening now it's not happening this is happening now you have an opportunity now you don't have an opportunity and this and, and so it's continuous and i'm not bitching about it i'm just venting because i know you guys either feel the same way or prepare yourselves to feel this way which is the the constant bipolar up and down roller coaster that is this business and we put so much stress on every accomplishment that we get because of how long it fucking takes, because of the stakes. The stakes are always massive. Anytime you go in for a pitch meeting, anytime you uh, stand on set, every time you uh, go to roll your first take, it it's an anxiety fueled because you feel the weight of, for for the right reason or the wrong reason, you feel the weight of that time before that uh, you know, 19 years of prep to get to this point. Um, and it it wears on you. So it's, it's a fascinating thing. And I've been feeling it over the past few months. I felt it um, pretty hard over the past week. Um, and I'm not saying that I'm, you know, bummed out or I'm like disillusioned by the industry or any of that stuff. It's just like, it's like if you're running every day or if you're riding your bike hard every day, your fucking calves start to hurt, you know, like you you're, you're, if you're lifting boxes, your shoulders start to hurt. And it's kind of the same thing where this muscle that is needed for this emotion is just fucking sore, you know, or, or it was pretty much Charlie horse over the past week. So yeah, it's been, um, it's been interesting. And then not to have the ability to sort of escape it, sort of go back to what my safety nest was, which was the family unit and hanging out with the parents and, and food and good times and all that kind of stuff. It was really a kick in the dick. And so what I did is I turned uh, to my other comfort, which uh, besides my beautiful and supportive girlfriend, Gina, uh, is movies. And my love of movies and my love of watching film and, and uh, my hunt for stuff that I enjoy. And I've been battling with, I don't know, I've been battling with this anger towards what I've been seeing lately and I can't disassociate. I can't figure out if it's because the stuff I'm watching is trash or if it's because I'm so bitter and pissed off that my stuff isn't happening fast enough that it's flowing into what I'm watching. So I'll sit there and watch something on television and go like, why the fuck is this made? You know what I mean? Like, that's a big piece of it. And that's something that I'm trying to, if that is what's happening, I'm trying to filter that out pretty quickly because I don't want to be that fucking asshole. I don't want to be that bitter prick that is just sitting there going like, well, why do these assholes get to do something and I don't get to do something? When in reality, I wouldn't even be up for whatever that fucking job is. I wouldn't even want to do that fucking job. It isn't a story that I would want to tell. You know, so if I am feeling bitter and pissed off at that moment, it's because of all this other shit that I'm not fucking tackling. And then you go, do I need a therapist? (laughs) Is this it? Is this that point? Crazy, right? But anyway, what has been going on? Um, Just finished shooting a really great piece that I'm very proud of. Uh, I'm putting the finishing touches on post-production as we speak. I'm going to finish the show and then get back into it. Um, But uh, I don't know if I can tell you specifically what it is yet, but I did work um, with uh, two incredibly talented women uh, that uh, really made my day. Let's just put it that way. They were a lot of fun to work with. Um, uh, The woman that put it together is uh, really great to have as a client. Um, She pays on time she's very understanding about productions uh she's very creative um and she really let me loose uh as far as an artist is concerned and let me run with this idea um uh, you guys are going to be very surprised by it i think and i i don't know when it's going to come out but uh i'm wrapping it up probably by the end of this week um and uh it was really fun And I I know I'm being cryptic about it because I don't want to ruin it. And hopefully when the thing happens, I can convince them to come on the show and we'll get into the nitty gritty of it. But I can tell you from a production standpoint, the stuff that I had to deal with. Now, this would be the first production that I essentially wrote the idea, produced it, directed it, shot it, edited it. Like I did mostly all of the key positions on this job. It's been a while since I've done that. It's been probably over a year since I did that. I think the last time I did that, I did that for Czarface. And then I did that for um, that last Dale Strong knife commercial that I did. Um, And so it's been a little while. And, you know, you come out with a certain sense of confidence after you do those pieces. You're like, I know how to do this shit. I I could do this crap. And then, so then you roll into the next production with that there, even though it's been, you know, I forgot that it had been like a year and change. I'm like, I'm good. You know, I'm still got that same experience. I'll just roll right into this and uh i was going through the process of scheduling it and putting it together now whenever i do a shoot i try to i'm always thinking about the edit first right well that's not true i'm always thinking about the story first so whatever the story is and how i can get the right amount of information uh to build that story or if it's about a joke then we're building outward from a joke or if it's about um a scare or building outward from that scare so in the in the conceptual stage i'm always thinking about how best what are the things that that affect me the most how do i feel when i when i look at this idea and then how do i exploit that to the audience how do i make the audience feel that and and hopefully more than what i felt initially and so that's usually in the conceptual stage and then once you get to the part where you're like all right cool i'm going to put together a shot list i'm going to put together schedule i'm going to put together this thing then I get my switch brain into the edit. And I think that's essentially, I think that's essentially from my years of early filmmaking where I didn't have enough. You know, that whole bit where you bust your ass for fucking, you know, 12, 14 hours, and then you get in the other room and there's like three clips in the bin. And you're like, what the fuck were we doing? You know, why are there only three clips? Um, And so I know that what makes my work strong is my edits. My, I mean, that my visuals are really great, but my edits are what really sell the deal. And with editing, it's all about having options in coverage and smart coverage and options in coverage and smart coverage. Um, because your uh, projects, whether it's a movie, whether it's a commercial, whatever it is, they're ultimately made in the edit room. And there are things that present themselves in the other room. There are things that you see on screen that you didn't even know existed the day of. You didn't even know that they were captured. And you find like a little nugget, like a little emotional spark that's there. And you're like, oh, what if we were able to go down and follow that fucking thing? Whatever that is. I don't know where that came from. I don't know who made that. But let's follow that, that little notion, that little look, and go down this different path with it. Um, and being a younger filmmaker, and there's a lot of you listening, you guys know what I'm talking about. Your options are very limited uh, because when you first start shooting things, you're either uh, really not fast yet, you're not efficient yet, or you might be arrogant enough to go, all I need is three shots and this and this and that. Um, Which, by the way, is an interesting philosophy. And the more research I've done on that, it comes from filmmakers uh, that worked for the studio in the days where they were concerned that edits would be taken away from them and so they would just shoot exactly what they needed for their vision so that there wasn't another way to cut it um and i always grew up loving that style that's the hitchcock style that's all those guys that would shoot specifically so that their shit couldn't be changed and now as we progress into the days of digital into the uh, the clients really having their hands in a lot of stuff because they understand how it works. Everybody wants options and options I think are dangerous um, if you're handing your edit away because then they can make whatever the fuck they want, right? They can go through and rearrange everything. Like shoot at 6K so I could zoom in on a bunch of different coverage and all this. Like, So that to me, if I'm handing an edit away or if I'm doing something where there's a client that's in that scenario Um, I always get a little nervous about that because anything can be taken from any point out of context, uh, shit from heads and tails on takes and just roll the video camera all day. All that stuff can really change a story, change an idea in the edit. Um, and I'm not saying that I'm completely adverse to that because here's a great example of what I just did, which isn't, I just think that you have to keep your eyes open and your ears open when you're starting a project, especially if you're working with other people. Like the if you feel, because you feel it early on, if you feel like the people that you're working with, your clients or, your, or the folks aren't really into your idea, aren't really into your shit, then you got to address that. You got to address that before you start shooting and decide whether or not your idea is right for this piece or maybe you have to go back to the drawing board with the client and go, look, I get it. I'm going to say... I'm going to talk about the white elephant in the fucking room, the thing that no one wants to address. You don't like my idea. I want to do something great with you, and I don't want this thing to get into the next step, which is in the edit room where you guys are going to take it away, and you're going to be upset. You're going to be trying to crowbar a bunch of footage that was shot for something else into something else, and it's going to look like shit. Always happens that way, right? So let's work together again. Let's go back to the drawing board. Let's try to merge our minds. You inspire me and I'll inspire you and we'll design something that before we get to set, we're both excited about. Then I can trust you and you can trust me. You know, that's really important because I think that's where the good creative stuff is made. That's where the good shit comes from is when that trust is there. Because I think a lot of producers and financiers and and, and studios don't like to acknowledge the fact, and and this is me, what do I know? But they don't really, it doesn't seem like they like to acknowledge the fact that at the end of the day, these are a gamble. Everything you make is a gamble. There are too many moving parts. So everything you do needs to have some sort of passion at the front, needs to have some sort of blind, blind ambition that's running the thing that will take these ideas and filter them through a perspective. And the danger in a day in a in a time period where perspective is dangerous um, is that that perspective could be skewed. Or that perspective could be wrong, and then the audience isn't going to like that. But the beauty that comes from that perspective is that there's a strong vision, and through that strong vision, there are all these really strong decisions that are made, and truly original decisions uh, that are made. And so. I've been seeing that a lot with the movies I've been watching lately because I've been going back in time and we'll get to that. So where was I? Fuck, man, it's like trying to keep a train on tracks with my brain today. Um. So anyway, it's about finding that confidence with your clients. It's about finding that confidence with the people that are financing your piece. It's about finding that trust. And so with this project, I was very fortunate to work with someone that appreciated my work, likes my work, trusts my work. Um, and she essentially, luckily, li- really liked my idea initially. Who's, what's going on outside? Uh-huh. This is my neighborhood, guys. I'm going to try to talk through the, uh, the gaggling geese that are up front here. Um, so uh, we found a synergy pretty quickly. And uh, because of that, I was able to sort of like allow myself to shoot a little bit more, knowing that I, I essentially was going to be in the edit room, which is great. Um, and we shot this thing. Uh, I, I, I talked about it on the last episode, our brand new sponsor of the show, which is Black Magic. I actually got to shoot this thing on the Pocket Cinema 6K, the Black Magic uh, Pocket Cinema 6K Pro. Just want to make sure I said that right. Um, And uh, I really beat the hell out of this camera and it held up, um, which was a lot of fun to use. It was fun to shoot on a new rig that I could put through its paces, that I could really um, uh, put on LUTs and really work with the visuals. And this piece came out gorgeously. Uh, It's this really great blending of uh, black and white, high contrast black and white plus some vivid, vivid, vivid color stuff. Um, I loaded LUTs onto the camera. Uh, For those of you who don't know, LUTs are essentially color grades or color correction um, that you can just put on the camera as a preview. So it's not baking down into the data. It's just a preview. And why that's important to me is uh, I like to be able to see and adjust my lighting to see how it affects the LUT. A lot of people go the other way. A lot of people like to shoot everything incredibly flat and then bring it into a color correction suite and then tweak all of that flatness into some sort of contrasty, color thing. I don't believe in that stuff. I, I look at LUTs the same way I would look at a filter that I put on the camera itself. So I like to be able to put down a LUT, which will specifically say the highlights look like this, the color, we're, we're shifting the, the, the color spectrum like this, um and here's where the contrast is going to be and then on the monitor in the camera I like to go what happens if I turn this light into it what happens if I put this specific color gel on it what does that do and so it's it's more painterly at that point which I like about this camera because it'll load LUTs in the camera which will then be previewed out to the monitor if you want or previewed onto the back of the camera which is really great um, and then it is shooting we did shoot this new piece 6k believe it or not shot this 6k uh, raw which I thought was gonna be a, a much bigger deal um, but whatever they whatever uh, codec that they use the files are a lot smaller than I thought they were I ended up like renting a bunch of CF cards which by the way fucking the market on CF cards is ridiculous How the fuck are these little flashcards still like $600 or whatever the fucking price they are? It's ridiculous how much those fucking things cost. Anyway, um, so I got a bunch of CF cards. I only used two. And we shot for 12 hours, something like that. It's pretty nuts. Um, And uh, the raw footage was really great because I was able to bring it into Premiere because I'm editing in Premiere. Um, Deal with it. (laughs) Uh, And then uh, brought them into the Premiere timeline and was able to adjust all of that raw information. And for those of you who don't understand how raw works, let me sort of put it together in layman's terms, okay? So if you're thinking of photography, right? Back in the day when I would shoot with the early DSLRs, you could have a choice. You could either shoot JPEGs, which were compressed files, or you could shoot TIFFs, which were uncompressed files. Um, And both those uh, formats would take whatever camera settings you dialed in uh, and lock those in. So like if you were like, okay, I'm shooting this at 100 ISO, if I'm shooting this at an F4 and the white balance is set at like 5600, that's being baked into the footage. Now there's some room when you bring it into the edit or into uh, uh, Adobe where you can shift the colors, but you're still working off of like a specific baked set of data right You yeah. like it's 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 like if you're barbecuing <laughs> like the you've got a specific kind of char on that meat uh you can kind of scrape off the char but it's still charred you know you, you can you can try to sauce over the char a bit but there's still char underneath the thing that was great about shooting raw um is that raw would not only capture whatever you set for your camera settings but it would also capture, uh, like, I, I, depending upon the camera it is, I don't know what Blackmagic, I think Blackmagic does four stops over and four stops under, or four stops over and six stops under. Don't quote me on that. But it would also capture the entire spectrum of color balance stuff. It would capture uh, more information in the highlights, more information in the shadows, so that when you get into post, if you want to adjust it, it isn't charred. It hasn't just captured that specific set of, uh, set of data. I'm gonna go in there and go, what if I wanted this to be tungsten balanced? And I'll dial it in tungsten balanced. And I was kind of wrong about my setting here for brightness and contrast, uh, because now my whites are too blown out. Can I recover some of that? And it's stored in the raw stuff. And for quite some time, this was just a still thing, like a still photograph thing. Um, But lately, well, within the past 10 years, um, they've been doing it with video. But a lot of this video raw stuff has created like ginormous files, ginormous fucking codec uh, uh, files that your software, when you're editing it, has to process. And the first time I had worked with this stuff was with Red. And at that point, you had to have uh, Red, like uh, additional card that was uh, running more RAM through it to be able to run these things in your edits softwares. And then if you didn't have that, you would have to like transcode everything down and then cut on a smaller codec and then relink it and then go through this process. So I've always kind of steered clear of it because when you're doing fast productions or you're doing things that are quick, um, It's a, it's a nightmare. Like trying to get a timeline, trying to conform a timeline for someone to use in a color suite, it's just a fucking bitch. And I didn't do that for quite some time. And then I was shooting mostly log footage um, because it was simpler to do that with, Um, but with this black magic thing, they did a really good job figuring out this codec to the point where I can run the raw codec in my video editing timeline at 6k. And so of course I'm not working within a 6k uh, aspect ratio timeline. I'm working within a, this time we are working within a 4k timeline which enabled me to zoom in on the footage uh, twice the amount of my aspect ratio before I got any sort of pixelization, which was insane. Because then I could start to do camera moves. I could start to do readjustments in post, which I really liked. Not to mention the fact that I could really dial in all my colors and all my contrast stuff for the black and white. So really interesting shit. And like I said, I was able to, you should see my timelines. I'll have to take a picture, a skill shot of, my timelines for stuff like this. Um, they're pretty, pretty intense. Multiple tracks, you know, 26, 35 different tracks of video running. Thank you, Puget, by the way. Um, I got lost on a fucking tech aspect of this. So, what I was able to do um in the prep, what I do in the prep anytime I put together one of these productions is I overplan. This is the point. I'm back to the point. I overplan. So I will say, Hey, we should do this piece. That's going to be about three minutes, three and a half minutes. I should do at least five different major setups, five different, because then you're thinking about three minutes. You're thinking about the arc of that three minutes, the beginning, middle and end arc. Am I revealing new things as it goes through? Am I calling back certain things? At what point does this happen? At what point does that happen? I'm being very vague. Cause I don't want to give away the project yet. Um, So you're trying to plan these things out. And so I will on paper just sort of go through, okay, so there should be a scene here, but we should do the exact same thing here. And then this should happen here. So as I progress through this thing, um, I'm starting to reveal new items. I'm starting to show new things, which is fun to do. Um, But the problem with that is the more setups you have, the more time it takes, obviously. And then if you're, (laughs) if you're dealing with uh, a female cast, an all-female cast, the more time you're in hair and makeup, right? That's a big, (laughs) that's a big time suck. And it's a necessary time suck. It's very much a necessary time suck. Um, So important that uh, the most important positions that I would hire on a job like this is hair and makeup. And to make sure that you're getting talent Um, that your actresses feel confident with Uh, folks that understand how to do makeup for uh, certain types of women very important and I've learned through my experience that I even though I have great relationships with hair and makeup people I never force my folks on people because at the end of the day it's it's about confidence and you want your talent to be in front of the camera completely immersed and completely comfortable Um, And so the first step for them in a long fucking day is sitting down in a chair in front of a mirror with a stranger who's going to make them look good. And so they need to be very comfortable with that. And so I would always default to their suggestions always, because um, especially if you're an older actor, actress in this industry, you've got relationships, you've worked with people good and bad. You've seen what caked makeup looks like you've seen what uh like youthful makeup used the wrong way looks like um and so i tried to be very aware of that this time around and i will say this a lot of that came from uh my work with gina and all of her stuff because all of her music videos have all been uh you know girl female power sort of pop star image uh fashion stuff um and so it's been interesting uh for me to sort of see that world and how all that stuff comes together and the importance of excuse me the importance of uh, beauty for these pieces and how beauty actually is the is the center element for a lot of this stuff that's where it starts like i may start from a different place i may start uh, from a location, from a from a scene, or from a nightmare, or from from some sort of emotion that I want to convey from it, and a lot of that stuff sort of centers around look and beauty and how these things play out, which I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine being someone that gets in front of a camera, which takes which takes uh, so much courage to begin with. And to be someone that's in front of the camera and, and to want to do something that is honest, to want to do something that is artful, and then to have uh, makeup or something that happens to you physically on screen that is too honest, right? Let's be real about it. It's too honest. Like maybe um, you see some stretch marks or maybe... Uh, you, your, the bags under your eyes are too, too much, which <laughs> from my perspective as a, as a ignorant storyteller, I'd be like, this is perfect. Like that look is perfect for what we're, we, we want. Like that's such a great thing. And there are so many actresses that I've worked with that are like, yes, we agree. Like that is such a great thing. And then, uh, they have to deal with the repercussions online of that. So then the memes or the... Or the fucking uh, zoomed in photographs of like, look at her fucking stretch marks and look what's happening here. And just the repercussions that come with that, Uh, because we live in such a, such an obsessed society over the female form, such an obsessed society over sex and, and whether or not uh, we're allowed to have sex. Like, it's fascinating and I, I don't even want to get too deep into it because what the fuck do I know, as like a fucking white male? <laughs> you know what I mean? I just know what I've observed over the years of working with models and females, um, in this industry, and um, coming to understand the stress that's on them. And so when they, when you under, when you understand that, you now know that the power of that hour and a half needed for makeup, the power of picking the right person to do that stuff. And then the power as a director of understanding um, my decisions and what they're going to do to this person, which is really fascinating. And luckily, I've had Gina there to help. And my new move these days is that I'll go through the process of doing my cut on these. And then I'll bring Gina over and go, will you just watch this from your perspective and tell me what... uh, is sticking out like a fucking sore thumb. Like, what do you think people are going to judge outside of our character, outside of the story, outside of any of this stuff? Like, what do you think people are going to judge this poor poor person on? Um, And it's invaluable. Because I get so hung up on energy when I'm cutting. I'm I'm an energy guy, right? The flow of energy, the volleying of power between two folks. And this could be in a music video. This could be in a in a scene with two actors, it's that volley, which I fucking love. And I love being able to take that energy and accentuate it with a camera move or accentuate it with a cut or accentuate it with music and that push and that power push. And whenever you watch a piece that flows really good, um, I had Lance and uh, his buddy George in here the other day sitting over my shoulder watching me edit and they were laughing at me because I said, I'm cutting and I, and I nail that, that push that power move i'm like yes and i fucking like just get excited because i'm like there it is boom 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 and you feel it when you're watching it and if you do it right it's so invisible but people like this is good this is really good it's that it's like that really sort of hidden thing um and that comes back to when i'm doing my coverage too because with coverage for pieces um I'm always looking for a second angle or I'm always looking for a little bit of a cutaway. I'm looking for like these little energetic things that I can inject in there to just either see it, sell the fucking energy uh, change or accentuate it, right? So I may just go into a cutaway and, and you come out and you go, fuck, that was intense. And it, it works really well. That's, it, it's incredibly exciting. I, I would say that's probably the coolest heart of all of this is like is putting that stuff together and finding that energy and and it's almost like you're you're running outside with a lightning rod with with dark skies right and you're waiting for that fucking lightning and that lightning strikes that rod and you're chasing it as it runs down this cable and you're trying to like trying to fucking loop it around things and move it around shit and get it all the way to the end so that that audience just follows that electricity through the piece um I don't know if that makes sense. I think it does. Uh, But it's it's very fun to do. It's very exciting to do. And so when I'm cutting, that's usually my first notion. And then what, what usually happens is that I'm sitting here with Gina and she goes, you can't use that shot. And I'm so obsessed with the energy. I'm just like, yes, 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 yes. And she's like, you can't use that shot. I go, yeah, but if I don't use that shot? If I don't use that shot, then, then the electricity stops right there. And She's like, yeah, but there's this thing and there's that thing. And I'm like, fuck you. And I get so mad. And I get mad at like society. I get mad at everybody. I'm like, fuck. It's because it's just breaking that that energy that I really like in that piece selfishly. Um, and I get pissed. I get upset. I'm just fucking, why are we, why, why do we care? You know, and like, fucking, I get so mad about it. Um, and I've just learned that coverage helps me with that because then once I get over my little temper tantrum that I have, then I can go, all right, well, let me go. And I start going through the stuff and I go, okay, well, if I can't follow that line, what if I run it through the way she looks over here? And then let me go through the footage. Ah, okay. This is good. Oh, cool. We got a whole new line. All right, great. We're good. You know, that's the weird fucking craziness about editing that a lot of people don't talk about everybody's like what what program are you using and are you using l cuts and did you learn how to sync and pluralize No, no, no this is what it's all about it's like that flow of energy that pacing that that tone building that scene building that's the exciting shit and that's why if you're in a position with a client that they trust you and you don't feel like people are going to take something from you later and then just take all your coverage. And they have no idea how to lay down electricity lines. They have no idea how to put up power lines. They're just going to fucking collage shit and cram it all in there. And you watch it afterwards. You go, that was a huge piece of shit. And you go, yeah, it was. That was built by a committee. That was a big committee piece of shit. You know? And as we get into talking about movies, we'll get into that. Um. So, yeah, anyway... I don't know if any of this is making sense. It's been a while since I've rambled, but um, yeah, it was fun. It was a fun thing to do. Uh, I did learn a couple of the new things about myself on the shoot. And I did, I did have to confront, uh, I had to humble myself with a few different things. Uh, first, when I was scheduling out this piece, I wasn't taking into consideration a few things. A, uh, Los Angeles fucking traffic. That was a huge thing. B, the location that we ended up getting had something in the driveway, so I couldn't put vehicles in the driveway, which meant that everybody that unloaded from their vehicles had to cross a busy street. Something as stupid as that added 45 minutes to my load-in time, which lost a shot. So I think I had seven setups planned, and I had to scrap two of them, two or three of them. Uh, because of L.A. traffic, because of underestimating the fact that I couldn't park a car in the driveway, and um, underestimating the fact that this is the first job that I had done in a year and change. So those three things scrapped two full setups, two full setups. So then when you're thinking about this is a production, that changes the way I edit and reveal things. Because if I had those two full setups in a three minute piece, then I could reveal them out slower. So when you guys watch this piece, you'll see that I kind of have to, for coverage sake, give away everything within the first minute, just so that I keep it interesting. But if I had those other two setups, then I could save two full setups for the third act. So then as you get into the third act, you go, whoa, this is all fucking new. This is really interesting. And that's a new outfit. and This is a new look. And oh, you know what I mean? Those were two pieces that I lost. Um, and I ended up losing those pieces. I could have pushed, right? We had the whole day scheduled for 12 hours. Um, and by the way, we ended up booking this location through a website, which I'm not going to promote yet. I'm going to see if they'll sponsor us. But we booked it through a website um, and the woman that owned the house was a sweetheart she was an absolute fucking sweetheart uh, she had a fantastic home uh kids um they were just wonderful wonderful folks i was so happy to pay them for the the time that we had um just wonderful but i had the place for 12 hours right and i could have pushed it i could have been like i'm fighting for these like, these last two things I'm fighting for these setups because as the director and as the person that's going to edit it, you're like, I've got this fucking vision. I want to fight for these. I want to fight for this shit. This is really important to me. Um, but then I looked around, right? So I looked around at who I'm with and I, I was very lucky to be working with friends on this. All friends. I, Lance was on it. Brett was on it. Um, everybody's there and everybody wants to be there. I. It's been a while since I've done something. So they want to be there. They want to be part of the fun because they know that my shoots are fun. And so I looked around at all these folks who were busting their ass and goddamn the sun out here. Fuck. Like doing exterior stuff out here is brutalizing. I sweat so much. I, I did three outfit changes myself on this shoot. Uh, probably because I was wearing something ridiculous, but you'll see later. Um, but yeah, it was excruciating. I mean, it was fucking 101 yesterday here, okay? So, it was fucking excruciating to be outside for a couple of those those setups, which exhausted everybody. I could see them exhausted. Um, And we did some stuff in a pool, which was fun, but once you introduce water into the equation, once there isn't a sense of, like, gravity, where everything's moving, like all the crew's moving, the camera's moving, and the talent's moving at all different fucking angles, everything slows down there, so a shoot that I had planned 45 minutes for ended up being an hour and change because of that. So all those things start to chip away. I sort of looked around, I looked at the crew and then I looked at my talent and my clients and, and they were sort of like getting lethargic and they were sort of falling apart. And I'm like, okay, I think I'll be the hero today and say, let's not do those two things. We'll scrap those two things, which means we only have an hour left of work time. And immediately everybody brightens up. Everybody becomes like, oh, really? We only get an hour? And I go, yeah, we have an hour. We have to hustle though. I need the best from you in this hour. And I talked to uh, the actress that was in it and I said, I need you to nail these fucking things. If you nail these, these takes, then I have what I need, bare minimum, to make this stuff work in the edit. So if you nail these fucking things, then we can stop. I don't need to push us through. I'll still make it great. So let's go. Let's go. Um, and it was a good decision. Now, when you finally see the piece, I think you guys are going to love it. If you if you see the piece that I had seen initially, you'd go, "Wow, that would have been so much better." But all these different factors came into play. My underestimating time, my uh, my issues with uh, myself under underestimating how fast I can do specific things, and then looking around at my crew and and weighing what is more important. Is it important on this piece, which we know the shelf life of pieces today, right? How long is this thing going to even be on the internet? How long are people going to be interested in this? Right, a week? So what's more important? Relationships are more important. Relationships with an amazing client is more important to me. Relationships with a fucking solid crew is more important to me. And then having that experience and that confidence... To be able to run through everything I had shot in my head and go, I can do this still. I could still make this happen. It was an interesting, it was an interesting jump back in. Um, there were a couple moments on the shoot where I wish that I had, you know, you always learn something from the shit that you fail on. And I wish that I had more control over a couple different things, and and I'm figuring those out. And just sort of processing the post COVID stress that comes into play when I start to lose focus when I'm shooting. Cause there's, I've, I've talked about it on other episodes. The, the, the hardest part about any shoot day, the thing that sucks is lunch. Lunch sucks. It just fucking sucks. And everybody has to eat. Um, I don't eat. I literally didn't eat breakfast. I didn't eat anything until after the shoot. Twelve hours. I didn't fucking eat a thing. But everybody needs to eat, right? Because not everybody's working at my intensity. A lot of people are sitting around, and so, and because they're just waiting, not because they're not good at what they do. They just—that's the nature of it. You fucking sit on your ass and you wait. Um, And so these people get hungry, and so when you schedule a, a shoot, um. I hate the first fucking shot. The first shot always sucks. It's incredibly awkward, especially the first time you're working with actors or or people in front of the camera and you're unsure of what they're going to do. And I have sort of like this sense of like, I don't want to say embarrassment, but I'm just like, okay, let's just see what happens. Do something on camera and let me see what it does. Um, I've gotten better at it, but it sucks. It always fucking sucks. And there's a sense of anxiety behind the first shot because you know you're going to be judged too. And so I try to just squeeze it in. Like I I, I try to like not let anybody see what it does. I just go, let's just fucking shoot something. You'll see me on set just go like, I I don't care. I don't care. Don't worry about her her touch-ups right now. Let's not worry about anything. Let's just fucking shoot something. And then when I look at that first shot later in the edit room, I go, yeah, that was trash. But it's just so that I can see it because everybody gets so excited about the take. And so like you have your wardrobe and your hair team that swarm the front of the camera. You have your uh, props people that swarm the front of the camera. If you have lighting folks, everybody's swarming the front of the camera. So, uh, it, and I have a sense of anxiety as a director because I'm like, okay, so it's been two hours. We're about a half hour behind. Let's get this fucking first shot in the the fucking can. Okay. And so then I'm trying to look through an eyepiece or in a monitor and I'm just staring at people's asses (laughs) because it's just a bunch of people standing in front of the fucking lens, dusting faces and moving hair and doing all this sort of shit. And I can't see, I can't see what's going to happen. And, and so every fucking shoot, it happens this way. I always feel like I have to sort of like get in there and push people aside and just go, guys, guys, step aside, step aside, step aside. Can I just see it? I'll let you guys go. We'll, we'll, I'll give you your opportunity to go in and, and make things look perfect. Because I know you want to make it look good. And that's why you're here. But step aside. And um, it's always awkward. Because then the the tide clears. Like this loud tide clears. And the actors are just there alone. Right? With the camera. And me. <laughs> And I'm just sort of like, oh God, Jesus, can everybody shut the fuck up for a minute? And then you're just sort of there and you're like, okay, all right, do something. (laughs) What are we doing? Can we just try it? Can we just do something? Can we see it? And then they do it and it's awkward and we laugh about it. And I go, okay, okay, all right, next time let's do it like this, another, this, and then, okay, uh, do me a favor, move the light over here. And then can you change her hair up just a little bit? And then it starts to find its way right? So then you do a second take. And that second take, I'm usually distracted by it. And this was an interesting shoot for me because I was also shooting it. I was also the cinematographer on it. And so my camera work on second take sucked because I was just looking at it. I was looking at what they were doing. And I was like, oh, okay, all right, all right. And, And so they were starting to find it. And then I would do playback. I'm like, can I just see playback on that? Because I was so lost in it. And I go back and look at it. And and then I have to sit sit there and Gina's around. Everybody's around. And they're just like, it's really great. What were you doing? I go, I know, I know, I know. (laughs) What I was doing sucks. But I just wanted to see what they were doing. Okay, I got it. I know what I got to do. I know what they got to do. And so then take three is good. Take three is good. But that usually, when you're looking at the schedule, is like two hours in. Two and a half hours in. Take three. Then you're like, all right, I got it, I got it. Okay, let's go. Then you fall back on the plan, and you're like, all right, I'm gonna do this shot, this shot, this shot, this shot. You're banging them out. You're like, and you're running, and people are getting excited, right? People like, yeah, you're fucking pumping them up, and they're getting pumped up, and the people at the monitor are fucking laughing, and they're fucking cheering, and you're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, this is great. And then, then it's lunchtime, and then everything fucking stops. And the the thing that drives me crazy about the scheduling is I go through the scheduling and I'm like, I need to get this shot at the pool by this time of the night or the the day. And I have to get it before this time of the day because then the sun's too far down and I can't get shit. So I have to fit this in here. So that's an, an immovable object that I have to fucking leave there. So I have to, how do I get these things? And now it comes down to outfit changes. Well, she's wearing this outfit change, which requires a huge hair change up. So can I get as many of the shots with her in that outfit change before the hair change up? And then if she's doing a hair change up, can I bang out the other one at the same time? Can I shoot the other woman, shoot her coverage? so That way I get her out of the hair and I shoot her coverage. Because you're just, you're fighting for time. You're always fighting for time. And lunch is a, um, an immovable object. It shows up it slows everybody the fuck down everybody takes that momentum and they go oh okay let me sit down and eat you ever notice that if you're working on a crew you come out of the high of like the first half of the day and you you walk over to the table and you're like what are we eating and someone hands you a sandwich you're like did i order this i don't know what okay and you sit down right not me everybody's out there having lunch and i'm like i gotta get all these fucking pickups Everybody's like, sit and eat with us. I go, I would love to, but I'm going to go shoot some fucking pickups, man. And thank God I did for the edit. But I ran through the house and I was like, bam, 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 bam. Just blasting them out on my own with the camera and a light in my hand, blasting them out. Because I knew that I can go and sit and chat for a little while with these folks. But I also knew the future. I also knew that I'd be sitting in a fucking edit room going, why the fuck didn't I shoot this? So I'm out there banging them out because I don't need to eat. You know, this is a one day shoot I'm not going to eat out who gives a fuck and uh, yeah it was fun it was a lot of fun uh, shot some stuff that uh, I'm proud of uh, I've got some looks in this that are really great it's been a while since I've actually been a cinematographer on something and uh, that was fun and uh, I love 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 uh, the two women that I got to work with I think they're really great uh, and uh, hopefully a long lasting relationship with some future work plans and it was really great. The crew was really awesome. Everybody was really fun. Uh, And uh, we partied a little too hard after that. So good times, good times. Anyway, let's take a moment and uh, let's do some ad reads. I'm doing everything live today. So let's cue some music. All right so uh you know the deal this is the time for me to give thanks to the men and women that sponsor the show and i'm talking about all of my great sponsors first up my good friends over puget systems all that shit that i was just talking about with being able to cut 6k 6k raw in multiple timelines and in multiple video tracks like i should have opened it before i did this so i can count like 26 layers of video 6k (laughs) i can hear you drooling that's because of my puget system if you want to build a beefy edit machine you want something that will run premiere like a dream if you want something that if maybe you guys are cutting and resolve now i know they're trying to get everybody to edit and resolve uh color grading editing uh build yourself a puget system those guys they they aren't manufacturers of hardware so they're not trying to pedal off any of their shit on you these guys have done all the research on the hardware that exists they do benchmark tests they run it through vigorous testing to figure out whether or not it's worth it what combinations of hardware are worth it Uh, and they build amazing pcs and pcs that are long lasting i have one that's over seven years old that we're still cutting on and all we have to do every once in a while is upgrade a piece of hardware remember how that (laughs) plays (laughs) <laughs> it isn't something that you have to throw out after fucking three years, four years, mm mm-hmm. telling you, head over to Puget Systems, click the link in the description of this episode because that'll, tra- that'll actually track your link to them and they'll know that you came from the podcast um, and uh, talk to them. They're real people. Check out their systems. They have them arranged uh, in different packages, but everything is completely customizable um, and they enjoy to hear from their clients. Um, and th- these guys have supported me. They've supported the show. I love them. They're good friends with them all. So go check them out. Uh Our big sponsor, I was talking about them at the early end of this episode, Blackmagic. Sponsor of In Love With The Process. Can you believe it? Um, uh, I love this camera. I really do. The 6K Pro is great. It is the perfect at-home camera. Like if you're someone that is used to shooting with Alexas, if you're used to shooting with something bigger than just a DSLR. And believe it or not, prior to this, I had just been still shooting 1080. I had been shooting mostly DSLR stuff. And so this is my jump for my at-home camera, which is the uh, Blackmagic Cinema 6K Pro. And uh, I love it. I think the raw stuff is really great. You do have to deal with a crop factor with lenses, but then you figure it out. Like I just went down and tested a bunch of lenses um, and uh, was like, okay, so I should probably get an eight millimeter in my kit <laughs> because of that. And shooting 6K is fucking great because I'm able to recrop things. And then even if you're just uh, downsizing it to a 4K timeline, you're getting more information in that compressed aspect ratio so the stuff feels even bigger and crisper and cleaner it's a really great camera um check it out head on over to blackmagic i think it's blackmagic.com the link is below the episode i think i would fucking know this shit the link is below the episode um go check them out check out that new camera and i'll be posting about it um on my instagram account at Petchy over the next couple months as we roll out this project that i shot completely on the new Blackmagic Cinema Pro 6K camera. Um, also, supporting the show, as always, are our good friends over at Quasar Science. Um, I actually used a bunch of Quasar tubes on the new music video. I used their battery powered bicolor units, which really came in handy when I was shooting in the bathroom sequence in this new video because I, the bathroom was incredibly tiny. Uh, and it doesn't look that way because i threw a fish eye lens on it um but uh it was so fucking small and i couldn't figure out where i could hide lights and i ended up suspending because there's no outlets where am i gonna put the fucking cables um so i suspended a bunch of battery powered uh, led tubes and they worked out great thankfully i had them for that because it's one of those like puzzles where you're like well, how the fuck do I fit anything in here and initially we were supposed to shoot that bathroom sequence during the day because I would have daylight coming through the window which I can then bounce around and play with that but we had to push it towards the end of the day which I lost the daylight so I had to light it as if there was a a light on in the bathroom etc etc so I was able to use like these very lightweight um battery-powered tubes uh suspend them above her as she sat on the toilet um and they worked out fucking fantastic Quasar always saves the fucking day. So if you're looking for some versatile, lightweight, dependable, rugged uh, LED units for your kit, check out Quasar Science. I'm telling you, if you work with gaffers and they pull these out of your personal kit, they're going to go, this person knows what's up. (laughs) <laughs> this person knows their shit. Not only are they picking the right units, but they're making my life easier because most of the time whenever I work with a DP, he's got some fucking LED tubes he bought from China taped together with gaffers tape. And uh, they're falling apart on us. And every one of those cinematographers is always like, my thing is, creates the most perfect image. It's ridiculous. And I know there's a lot of gaffers and lighting guys that listen to the show that are laughing right now, but it's true. Every one of us cinematographers come with their own like bullshit little at-home kit that they're like this is perfect for (laughs) close-ups and you see these poor lighting guys like trying to make the toothpicks and the (laughs) and the fucking scotch tape stick to the to the c-stand as they mount them Mm. don't be that asshole get yourself a quasar light go to quasarscience.com uh let's see who else is supporting the show what am i forgetting I got Puget, I got Quasar. Oh, my good friends over at ICANN. Uh, ICANN actually hooked me up with uh, some batteries, hooked me up with some support uh, that I used on the Black Magic. So one of the negatives, one of the few negatives that the 6K Pro has is that battery power. And if you buy the camera on its own, it just has one solo battery that fits in it. And the fucking camera doesn't come with a charger. You're supposed to plug in the camera, charge it. Boy, how would I do that when I'm shooting? I'm sure that you can find some aftermarket charger for these things, but what the fuck, guys? And so I actually got my hands on, like, I forget what they call it. Is it right here in front of me? Hold on. Oh, uh, yeah, I got the uh, Battery Pro Grip, which fits two more batteries in it. So it's three batteries that fit into this rig, but I still didn't want to just rely on that. And so ICANN sent me a sled um, that allowed me to mount um, V-plate batteries, like uh, big bricks onto it. Um, and that, like, I, I think I ran on like one V-plate all day. Uh, it was really great. So uh, check out ICANN. They have all sorts of really great accessories. Um, I still have a bunch of their lights that I use. Um, they're a great company. And uh, Brian over at ICANN has always been a support of me, my work, and the show. Um, recently, when I uh, just had the last documentary that I shot released on Showtime, which was This Ain't Normal, directed by Rudy Hippolyt, um, that whole movie was essentially lit with ICANN lights and uh, shot with ICANN gear, stabilizes the whole fucking thing. Um, So, without the support of ICANN, that movie really wouldn't look the way it does. So, uh, go check out ICANN. I think it's ICANN Corp. uh, The links are below the episode. Don't ever listen to the URLs that I spout. Uh, Check the link out below. All right? And uh, for those of you who are newcomers to the show and you're feeling a bit intimidated, I think this is episode 150. If you're feeling a bit intimidated by uh, the amount of episodes uh, on the queue, Uh, And you want to just listen to episodes from directors, you want to just listen to episodes from musicians, head on over to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There I've curated all the episodes. Uh, I put together pages with the episodes, link to get to Spotify, links to get to iTunes, as well as supplemental material. So photographs that I get from the guests, uh, links for their trailers, links for movies, all sorts of stuff. Um, So head on over to inlovewiththeprocess.com. Check it all out. Check it out. At some point we'll be doing merch again do you guys want merch let me know send me a note tell me you want merch um all right let's get back into it uh with me (laughs) uh so yeah let's just wrap up what we were talking about uh with the production it was uh very exciting it was fun to do very happy to sort of shake the rust off and get back into it um and the edit process has been a blast um, I gotta say this confidently that fuck, I kill edits, man. I love editing. I'm fast at it. Um, and, uh, you know, I just turned in my quote unquote rough. I never really turn in a rough. I always turn in like a polished, like four steps away from being done rough, uh, which there's a risk to that because they could hate it. But I also want them to feel the closest to what it's going to feel, um, And so I handed in a rough and they loved it. I got a few changes to do today. Um, And then I'll fucking bang this thing out. Be done with it. Uh, And be depressed that I'm not banging out something else. (laughs) Uh, But yeah. And uh, through, like I was mentioning earlier, teasing earlier. Through the past weekend. And uh, past uh, recovery process. After doing the shoot, I have been watching a lot of movies, a lot of fucking movies. Uh, And I've been watching movies in the theater and I've been watching movies here at home. Um, And I'm very excited to talk about it with you guys because I know that there's a big group of you that are like, Mike, what should we watch? And I get it because the fucking Q game sucks, you know, the Netflix Q All these cues where the algorithm's like, hey, I I noticed that you like soap drama. How about all of this soap drama? Fuck off. What about like really, can can the algorithm actually examine the craft that I enjoy? The craft, not the fucking taglines, not the bullshit fucking taglines that are put on these things for marketing. How about the craft of cinema? This craft of fucking storytelling. How about your algorithms decide that? Where they sit there and they go, wow, this this guy really likes solid coverage. This guy really likes uh, great cinematography. This guy really enjoys solid character building. Not bullshit soap opera bullshit. God damn it. How much soap opera shit is out there right now? You ever sit on Netflix and just watch the screensaver run and look at their fucking like three word descriptions? That's the algorithm, by the way. The three word descriptions that run underneath each one of them. Soapy drama. Nostalgic. Soapy drama. Fuck off. There's a reason. You're just watching this stuff. And there's great acting. And there's great actors in it. But it's like they... for Like somehow Days of Our Lives became cool again. Somehow that kind of like he's sleeping with her and she's upset about it, but she's pissed at him. And who's the bad guy? He is fuck off. I've I've seen enough of it. I would like to have more fun cinematic experiences with diverse casts that we don't have to point out how diverse they are for a marketing scheme. Just put diverse people in a movie. Put really great people in a piece and let us just watch it and let us get lost in the story and not be so hung up on the fucking social messaging that comes around it, which is just marketing. Can we just get lost in great stories from everybody's perspective? I love everybody's perspective. Part of being a filmmaker is being empathetic to that. And I'm not upset with the fact that there are all sorts of different stories being told i'm i embrace it i love it i'm upset with the fact that it's all being done by corporations that need to pat themselves on the back for how fucking diverse they're being when they're not actually being diverse at all right right dangerous statement anyway uh so anyway I've been watching a bunch of shit. So what have I seen lately? All right, let me go through my list here. I got tickets. I was very excited about this at the beginning of the month because I talked about it last month where I couldn't get tickets. They all sold out uh, because everybody was coming out of COVID and they just jumped on it like a bunch of hungry fucking hamsters. Uh, I got tickets to two screenings at the New Beverly. So Tarantino Cinema out here in California uh, got tickets to see two movies and uh what were their films first one to live and die in la fucking amazing movie freaking directed that um it stars uh peterson what's his name william peterson the guy from csi he was in manhunter um william defoe very young william defoe plays the bad guy in that movie um and it has a car chase scene that Doesn't quite live up to the French Connections car chase scene, but it's in the same family. Uh, He also directed that. Um, Really fun movie. Uh, What was it? Wang Chung did the entire score soundtrack for it. Uh, It really sort of fits into the 80s sort of uh, synthy, neo-noir vibe. Uh, And it's fun. And uh, it's about uh, two Secret Service agents uh, and that whole industry is interesting. It's an interesting angle uh, for the cop movie theme, you know, because these guys are running around busting people, doing counterfeiting. These guys are protecting the president. There's a bunch of fascinating things that the Secret Service does. And I did some research on it. it looks like the Secret Service was conceived during the Civil War, is when it was when it was brought together, and people were hunting down counterfeit counterfeiters. During the Civil War. Wouldn't that be a fucking great movie? Anyway, if you haven't seen it yet, it's a hard one to find. To live and die in L.A. I don't think it's on a streaming service right now. Um, I ended up finding it on Blu-ray. So I have it on Blu-ray. But I saw that they were screening it in the theater. And I had to go. I had to bring Lance because he hadn't seen it yet. And uh, New Beverly, first time being there. It's a small theater. It's a great theater. Uh, I've heard that it used to be the porno theater of that area. It used to be an adult cinema. But with how crammed the seats are in, I'm like, how are these people jerking off with their shoulders rubbing up against each other? <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, man, a uh, great fun experience. Bunch of fucking nerds. It was uh, two o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday, and I go in there with my fucking uh, Nakatomi tower fucking hat on, and I fit right in. All these fucking slightly overweight nerds, all excited, sitting around. Quoting Tarantino movies, uh, it was a blast. It was a blast to watch a movie like this with those folks because of the response that they get when they're looking at it and they laugh at certain points and they're just excited about certain aspects of it. Um, it's fun. It's really fun to watch a movie with people that love movies. Um, and uh, that experience was a fucking blast. Uh, last night was my second uh, screening at the New Beverly and I got tickets for E.T., and uh, I went to see ET for selfish reasons. One, uh, one of the movies I'm prepping, I have been watching a lot of ET. Uh, two, I wanted to see how Spielberg's tricks worked on a screen, like a big screen with an audience, and they fucking killed, killed. Uh, I think that one of the most heartwarming aspects of the entire night, uh, this couple brought their kids in that had never seen ET before. They're young, young, young. And they had little E.T. stuffed animals. I felt like I was transported back into the late 80s. And these kids had little E.T. stuffed animals and they're sitting behind us. And this was one of those screenings where I enjoyed the fact that there were kids behind me talking through it because they were just like, is he dead? <laughs> is the little one dead? <laughs> Where'd he go? He went home. <laughs> What's with the candy? Yeah, it was great. Um, I, we had so much fun. Gene and I watched that one in a... Uh, And uh, we had so much fun with it. And the physical effects, the practical effects that he did um, would be hokey if you just looked at them on their own. But in the emotional context that he builds um, and from the performances that those kids give, uh, you really buy into E.T. You really buy into that fucking, that little person in a rubber outfit flopping those flat feet around. Um, I really loved loved it. It was a really great experience. Um, I really enjoyed it. I'm happy that that theater exists. I'm happy that they're screening these things um, And the amount of craft that went into that movie, the craft that went into building those characters uh, is staggering. And there are so many people out there like myself that are inspired by that that are trying to replicate that trying to copy that shit. every ounce of fucking stranger things was ET. every ounce of that fucking show and they didn't they didn't come close to the intimate craft that Spielberg did for that movie. And I'm not just saying that because I'm nostalgic. I just fucking saw it for the first time again in the theater with an audience. Open Clean Clean Slate in 2021. And that movie that movie kills stranger things. And why is that? Is that because of Spielberg? Is that because of him as an artist? Is that because of the setting that he was in, the position that he was in, in a time period where as a filmmaker, he was able to lead this thing the right way. I don't know. I don't know. But it fucking killed. It was so goddamn good. In comparison to another movie that I saw. And it was just sort of a, a fun sort of, Gina wanted to see it, right? Let's be real. Your girlfriend says, I want to see something. You go, okay. I'm not going to make all the decisions. Totally. Let's go. Have a good time. We'll have some food and I'll sit there and maybe it'll be fun. We went and saw a fucking Jungle Cruise. <laughs> All right. I get it. I get it, Disney, right? Another movie being built off of a fucking old, barely running ride at Disney World or Disneyland, wherever the fuck it is, right? And uh, who am I to say that that won't work? Pirates of the Caribbean, Right. The fucking ginormous Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Jerry Brockheimer. Huge. Who directed that? That's what's his name It did The Ring. Uh, God damn it. His name will come to me. But he's great. Great fucking director. Uh, honestly, one of the reasons why that franchise killed was because of his setup for that. Oh, God, his name is right on the tip of my tongue. Um. So I was like, okay, maybe this is it. I like The Rock. I like an Emily Blunt. She's great. I loved her in, uh, um, fucking, oh Jesus Christ, <laughs> my fucking brain, uh, the the de- the deaf girl fucking uh, horror movie there. And you guys are all screaming at me. This is what it is. <laughs> yeah. God damn it. All right, hold on. This asshole's got to Google this because his brain just stopped working. Emily Blunt, click on A Quiet Place, you dumb prick. Yes, A Quiet Place. I love her in A Quiet Place films. She's great and she's hysterical. Um, and I, like I said, I like The Rock. The cast seemed really fun. Paul Giamatti was, where's he been? So he's back. Um, so we go. We go to this theater. Uh, in Glendale. I think it's called Look Cinemas. I don't know how. It's so cheap. It's very, it's very Eastern European. You go in there and it's like all neon lights and smells like fucking like Axe body spray. Uh, but the ticket prices were very inexpensive and, uh, went and sat down, ordered food and, uh, recliner chair. Shit's awesome. And then I watch as the, uh, the Disney logo comes up and, uh, while the little fucking fireworks are going around the fucking towers on the Disney castle, I hear this fucking tune. A little guitar, a little Spanish guitar kind of vibe going on and I go, what? This is fucking Metallica. This is Nothing Else Matters. They're playing a Spanishy vibe version of Nothing Else Matters and trying to make it feel like it's part of that area that they're in which is, I don't want to say it's racist, but it's like, it just felt weird, right? This is a song about like losing shit and like nom and all sorts of weird depressive stuff while the fireworks are around the fucking Disney towers. And then they're fucking strumming through Nothing Else Matters from Metallica as the Jungle Cruise logo comes up. And in my head, I'm just like what weird theme park ride am I on? What is this? Right. And I, I, I kept going back in my head. I, I sat there and I went, uh, being a fan of Metallica, I saw Metallica what, like six times when I was a kid. So then like, I'm like, I'm going back and I'm, I'm running through the slideshow of, of the decline of Metallica in reverse. Right. Cause this is like, <laughs> this is like at the bottom. So like I'm running backwards and going like, okay, when well they made that doc and that doc was giving away so much and like these guys are dealing with like dropping their kids off in Range Rovers, how they're going to be singing about like intense things anymore. All right, I got it. I got it. You go back to like, you know, uh, the fucking drummer, uh, you know, shitting on Napster, which I fully support him shitting on Napster because I did it. We were all stealing fucking music. We all did. We stole music. We stole it. We ruined that industry. Now, was that, was that inter- industry greedy? Mm-hmm. Could be. Was that industry overpricing everything? Mm-hmm. Most likely. But I, I understood his point. He's like, you're fucking stealing our shit. And then that ruined their band, right? But then before that, you go through the Black Album, which suddenly got all the jocks in high school liking a metal band. You go before that, back to the early stuff, When Metallica was about building a fan base, they were about uh, thrash metal aggression, and they were about brotherhood, and they were about all this stuff, like anti-system, anti-all of that. And it was fun. And their music was fucking awesome. Still great. Still listen to Master of Puppets, and fuck you, that song is great. Ride the Lightning stuff, awesome. Fucking run back through, fast forward through all that shit, and then just get back to this nothing else matters fucking Spanish guitar strumming shit. And then I'm like, oh, okay, so did they just sell the rights to this thing for this? And I did a little research. It's like, no, they did the fucking music. Ah, oh. well, I guess you got to put gas in that fucking Range Rover. <laughs> so that's how it started. And then the movie... Look, I don't mind talking trash about the film because it looked like it didn't mean anything to anybody that made it, okay? Like, the actors were bored on screen. I mean, I've heard rumors that The Rock, anytime his face wasn't on screen, someone else was there. I've heard rumors about that. Like, this movie was so fucking phoned in. And uh, it's not going to do as well as Pirates, like, at all the director of the first pirates really made that amazing uh this movie sucked it really did and it was incredibly depressing to watch where it was just like this is uh th- this is it huh this is it and and it's not like this is something new right this has existed for years and years and years in this industry right there was that whole period of time before scorsese showed up before uh the brat pack right where uh, hollywood was obsessed with making like epics and westerns and they just kept phoning it in with all that shit and then the business was there and then the business realized that they were putting themselves out of business and so they had to turn to the filmmakers to reemerge the industry for them giving like car blanche to like all these different directors to come in and do that shit uh i i watched this really interesting doc uh a24 put it out on uh, brian de palma If you haven't seen it yet, where did I see it? I think it was on Showtime. Really great doc on Brian De Palma. For those of you who don't know, he directed Snake Eyes. He directed Untouchables. uh, He directed, um, Jesus Christ, Blowout, which I just saw. We'll get to. Um, But De Palma was part of that group. It was Coppola. It was Scorsese. It was Spielberg. uh, De Palma. um, And they were all making intense, fun movies like Game-changing films in the '70s and the '80s, and then eventually developed blockbusters and and did all that stuff. Um, and when I look back on that stuff, or those those films of my youth with with romance in my eyes, uh, it was interesting to hear De Palma's story and how difficult the industry has been for him, and how difficult it was for him to make stuff um, and the fights that he had go through, and how much trouble he had with the rating systems and um, and so then I was like, oh, okay, so it's, this has always been a fucking slog. <laughs> even when I didn't think it was, this has always been a fucking slog. All right, man up, buddy. Um, but uh, yeah, so even then, these movies, there was a bunch of this shit that came out. And so, uh, yeah, so we watched that movie, which is uh, Don't Bother. And then uh, I, I got irritated. So I was like, I gotta I got to watch something good. I got to find some good shit. And so whenever I feel that way, I, I go to the Criterion channel. I go back into the Criterion channel and I watched a bunch of great stuff. And they have a bunch of really good collections going on in the Criterion channel. They don't sponsor the show, so I'm being honest. Um, and uh, as if I'm not honest anyways, but uh, on there, they have a neo-noir section, which my love of that shit, I jumped right in there real quick and I watched... A Barry Shear film called Across 110th Street. That song from Jackie Brown, Across 110th Street. He stole it from this movie. So uh, this movie was really great. Uh, It's like a cop drama, uh, a lot of racial tension between a black cop and a white cop, uh, which is relevant. Um, And the action was really great. Uh, Solid fucking performances all across the board. Um, I highly fucking suggest it. So write that down. Across 110th Street, if you want to get into some like really serious social issue drama around police uh, from the 70s. So like if you're a big fan of Serpico, if you're a big fan of like French Connection, um, this was a really great movie. Fun one to watch. Uh, let's see. What else did I watch? I got a bunch of things on my list here. Do, 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 do. I also watched the Hit, which I had never heard of before. Uh, Stephen Frears directed it. Uh, it stars Terrence Stamp. For those of you who don't know who Terrence Stamp is, he was in the Limey. I'm trying to think of what movie he was in that a bunch of you kids have seen. I feel like he was. Oh, he was in. Uh, he was in Superman. He played Zod in Superman Two, not the new one. But the original Superman, he was in that. Um, Movie also stars John Hurt. John Hurt from Alien. The alien comes out of his stomach. That John Hurt? Yep. And it also stars Tim Roth from uh, Pulp Fiction. Any of you fuckers move? Yeah, that guy. Awesome. He was super young in this movie. Um, And it's a really quiet, understated film about death. And sort of accepting death. Um, and about these two hitmen that are taking a guy to his death and the process that it takes to get there. Really fun, I don't want to say fun movie, but really great film. Really quiet study in in death. I thought it was really great. Uh, so those were the two that I watched um, from that collection. There's a bunch of other ones in that collection that I had to get to. Uh, let's see, what else did I watch on Criterion? I did watch Blowout. Okay, so De Palma. So after I watched that uh, Brian De Palma documentary, um, I really fell back in love with his craft. I really fell back in love with how he tells stories. He is incredibly obsessed with Hitchcock or has always been uh, obsessed with the Hitchcock storytelling style and sense. And so when you watch his stuff, you know, you could see his love of vertigo. You could see his love of, um, you know, very specific plotted out camera stuff. Um, and, uh, I think one of his best, he did the original Carrie, you know, they're all going to laugh at you. That one, uh, he did, uh, the untouchables, which is a great movie with Kevin Costner, um, and, uh, Sean Connery, great Sean Connery part in that movie. Um, but he did blowout, which I think is one of his best John Travolta, eighties, John Travolta plays a sound man. So Uh, He plays a sound man that uh, is out recording sound effects for a film that he's doing, um, and he records a murder. And the thing that's so interesting about the sound stuff is that uh, De Palma was part of the Coppolas and all those guys um, who were changing and reinventing sound for cinema. That's a big thing that they did. Lucas, all those guys really changed the way sound played in movies. I saw another doc on this. Where prior to it, sound was always mono. And a big push was to make sound stereo. Because the music industry was way ahead of the film industry on sound. And a lot of the early uh, studio execs were like, who gives a fuck about sound? (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Who gives a fuck? Why am I going to spend all this money? Who gives a fuck? It's a game with those guys. Um, And uh, Coppola and Lucas and that whole group really changed uh, the way sound was made. And sound was put out in cinema. So stereo sound, uh, surround sound, sound effects recording, all the amazing work by, uh, what's his name, Bill Burt or Burt, the sound effects guy from Star Wars. Um, I've totally fucked his name up. Um, But uh, they really changed all that stuff. So it was fascinating to see De Palma, who was also interested in sound, make a movie about a sound guy. And it's a fun movie to watch. Uh, because he really shows you legitimately the process that it used to take to create sound for film, whether it's recording or whether it's dubbing to tape, he does this really great sequence of, of actually syncing, uh, film to mag tape, which I used to do in film school. And it's very honest and very true. Uh, Travolta gives a fucking banging performance in this. Um, and the suspense is, is key. I'm not going to give away who the bad guy is, but he's going to blow your mind and he's really great. Um, The music's awesome. And then De Palma does like these really great split screens and he works a lot with diopters. Um, And so he is forcing your perspective with split diopters, which is really awesome. Uh, It's a fucking great movie. If there is a movie on the list of films I'm going to give you to watch as a filmmaker, uh, watch Blowout. Um, Brian De Palma, great movie. You'll find it on the Criterion Channel, wherever you get it. Watch it. Let me know what you think. Um, okay, and then what else did I watch on there? Do, 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 da, the hit. Do, 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 do. Um, oh, and then they also have a bunch of the old Godzilla movies on there. And there hit a day where I was like, oh, I just need to feel good about myself, and so I watched the uh, Godzilla vs Megalon, <laughs> which is arguably the most cheesy trashy of the um, Showa era of Godzillas. Um, But it is the first one I saw as a kid. And so there's a lot in it that I dig. Whenever I watch that movie, a lot of trash in that film. But the damn sequence is fun. The miniature stuff is amazing in that movie. Um, The fact that Godzilla bleeds in that movie, I love. Um, And uh, the fire stuff. Is really great in the fight scene in that movie. A lot of it's trash though. It's very nostalgia trash. And I watched it for that reason. Um, Godzilla versus oh, Megalon. But before I move on outside of the Criterion Collection, there's a bunch of stuff on there that I'm going to watch. I'm excited to see on the on the waterfront with Brando i can honestly say i don't think i've ever seen that movie and i know it's sacrilege for me to say that this is a movie that changed acting this is a movie that changed cinema it was before on the waterfront and after on the waterfront it's the advent i don't want to say the advent but like uh method acting it is like where method acting for a lot of people begins with brando and his performance on this and it really changed uh Prior to that, it was sort of like Hollywood stage acting. And after that, after On the Waterfront, it changed everything. So I think I've seen bits and pieces of it. I may have seen it when I was in film school. I can't remember it. That's on my list. I'm going to watch that. I'm going to watch the Godard film, Breathless. Excited about that. Um, And uh, I haven't seen the original Homicide movie that uh, David Mamet did. That's on my list. I'm going to watch. And then they have a John Huston collection. Old director, John Huston, who did a bunch of films in the 50s, in the 60s. Um, He did like a a Moby Dick film, which has some like crazy visual effects. Uh, I'm excited to dive into his shit because I don't think I've seen much John Huston. So I'm excited. Those are the collections that I'm going to go through on Criterion. If you guys have the Criterion channel, you would think I'm getting paid by them. By how many times I say Criterion. Um, Then watch them with me. Let me know what you think. Uh, Let's see, what else? I also saw a couple of new movies. Um, I saw Respect, the uh, Aretha Franklin biopic. Fun movie. I I mean, I always like fully immersive biopics to begin with, and I like it when the filmmakers really try to make it as genuine as possible and sort of that uh, ensemble cast and like all the, the cast and crew people really help immerse you in this world. I really like that stuff. Um the lead actress fucking phenomenal uh sings all the stuff in it. Phenomenal. Um I heard about it uh from Mark Marin's podcast cuz Mark is in it. He's got a small role in it. Um and he fucking destroys. He always destroys. Um and he's really great in it. Um and uh Marlon Waynes is in it. He's fucking great. Uh it's a good movie. It's a really great new movie. I I actually, I think I've, I spent full price on rental on that. Um, great watch, fun watch. Uh, definitely check it out. I know it's going to probably come down in price. You can get it on demand right now, but it'll end up on one of these streaming platforms eventually. Uh, she's had an interesting life and you could tell that they had to deal with whoever is sort of dealing with her, like the brand, um, after her death and like how they revealed certain pieces of information and um they did a really clever way of of sort of telling multiple sides of the story uh for for aretha franklin or for her character um about like her childhood and whether or not what she remembered was the way it was they do a really good job of it showing all these sides which you could tell was them navigating some sort of like politics around, uh, whatever you know, the business of her that's left. Um, but it's a good movie. Check it out. Definitely check it out. Uh, let's see. What else did we watch? Uh, did you Like I said, I saw a fucking ton of movies, man. Um, oh, I watched Respect. No, I just said Respect. I, I watched Nobody, which was pretty good. Um, have you guys seen this yet? It was, uh, It was produced by the guys that do, um, John Wick, all the John Wick movies, um, and, uh, directed by, I'm not going to be able to pronounce his name, Ilya Nanshula. What else did he direct? Let's take a look here. Oh, he did Hardcore Henry. Right. So he did Hardcore Henry and then he did Nobody, uh, produced by the guys that did John Wick. Um... And uh, it was fun. You know, Bob Odenkirk is great in it. I mean, he's a great actor. And then they made him into an action star. Christopher Lloyd's <laughs> parts are fucking fantastic in it. He's really good. RZA's in it. Um, Connie Nelson's in it. Like, uh, it's a good cast. Um, and it's a fun movie. It, like, sort of checked off all the boxes for, like, like a fun little action flick. Uh, definitely trying to be kind of John Wickie. Um but it was okay. You know, I liked it. I I don't know if I'd watch it again, but I thought it was good. So if you guys want to see something new and you haven't seen that yet, check it out. Uh, Let's see. And then, oh, we watched this late last night um, and it was really a a surprise to me. It sort of came out of nowhere. And it's one of those movies. Hold on a second. It's one of those movies uh, where you catch it and you go what else does this director do and i went and i watched the other trailers for the director and i was like yeah all right i'm gonna go back and look at his catalog of stuff um it's werewolves within great fucking movie really funny uh really scary it's kind of like it's, it's very much like knives out um sam richardson is fantastic in it he's really funny uh uh, I'm, I never pronounced her last name right, but uh, Milana Ventraub. Um, she's really great. And I didn't recognize her at first, but she's the actress that is in a bunch of those at and ads. She's a stand-up comedian. Uh, she really steals the show. Um, and the cast of characters are all on point. And it's such a fast movie. Uh, and there's so much, there's, there's so many jokes in this film. Almost too many. There's so many jokes that are coming at you at a million miles an hour that you have to be listening to everybody and you can't really laugh because like even off screen, you're hearing someone say something that is absolutely hysterical. Um, So it's definitely a rewatcher because there's so many hidden jokes in there. Um, And it's a lot of fucking fun. It looks great. Uh, Josh Rubin directed it. He did a good job with it. Um, It's a fun fucking movie. Uh, But Milana, I, I, I'm a big fan of her. I think she's really awesome and uh she did a good job with it and it's nice to see her uh she wasn't the lead kind of like a co-lead but uh it's nice to see her leading something like that and 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 and, uh doing a good job highly suggest it werewolves within watched it last night fucking great movie i would have seen that in the cinema that's a great one that's kind of the bum out about what's happening lately with cinema stuff i don't even know if that was released in the theaters a lot of these movies are getting lost and hidden and if it isn't for us talking about these films and taking a chance I was just going through new releases and just took a chance on it and now I want to go back and check out all of Josh Rubin's other stuff he had another film I'm looking it up right now that was a big Sundance special or Sundance is darling called scare me that looks like a lot of fucking fun um, maybe I get him on the show let's see here yeah actually I might be able to get him. Josh Rubin. I'll write to him. I'll see if I can get him on the show. He looks like he can, he's a, approachable. Uh, great fucking movie. Definitely check it out. Um, Werewolves Within. And uh, let me see. Did I, did I miss anything? Going through my list here. Now, there's a bunch of other stuff I saw, but I think that's, the, that's it. Um, we're doing good hour and 40 oh wow this episode went longer than i thought it would uh hope you guys enjoyed it um it's been a while since we just sat and chatted uh hope you guys got something out of the show uh watch some of these movies let me know what you think if you guys have suggestions for films, stuff that's off the beaten path honestly if you guys have some suggestions for some new shows that you think are great um send me suggestions please i need to get past i need like I need folks to suggest it to me. I need to get past the marketing right now that drives me insane. I need to get past the very sort of intentional, depressing marketing that's happening with a lot of the stuff that we're seeing. And I I really want to get back to quality craft work. And so if there's a series that you really enjoyed that you think I'll like, let me know. Um, they're far and few in between for me right now. And I'm not saying that there isn't great content being made. It's just that they, the way things are being marketed right now are just sort of spoiling it for me. And I know that what'll happen is five years from now, I'll go back and be like, wow, this show is really great. And I think it's just once you get past the fucking smoke and haze from the current climate that we're in and how things are being marketed and distributed and how, how they're sort of like playing on our fears and playing on on all these social issues. And, and it, it's just front-loading this, this content with so much, which is unfair for the filmmakers, is unfair for the folks. And that's, unfortunately, what you assholes click on all the time, right? We are just obsessed with clickbait that makes us angry, that makes us feel like shit, that, that we enjoy tearing down other fucking people, like, as a society, And so, of course, they're going to turn to these marketing firms that are like, we have to go in on this hard. I have to go in on this shit real hard. I don't know if you guys have seen my post, but I've been posting articles from the advertising community that talk about the power of uh, social issuing with marketing and how much money people make with that. So I just want to get out from it. I believe wholeheartedly in everything that's being done and everything that's being said. Uh, as a human being. But uh, I just want to get out from underneath the the fucking uh, corporate engine that that is taking full advantage of, of what we're feeling and how we're feeling to make lots of fucking money. You know what I mean? It's just depressing. And so the good news is is that there's a lot of fucking great movies that I haven't seen. Thank God for the Criterion Channel. Thank God uh, for the classics. And uh, there's a big piece of me as a filmmaker, and maybe I'm giving this away to everybody, but... I also feel like i might actually come out with like an interesting new voice because i'm actually going back and studying the uh the craft there you go that's today's episode thank you everybody um stick around uh plenty more guests and uh big shows on the way once i book them And uh, keep your eye on my Instagram account at MikePetchy or the podcast account in Love with the Process Pod. That's in Love with the Process Pod. I will be releasing this project that we talked about hopefully in the next few weeks. And uh, we'll do some follow up episodes. We'll get into it. Uh, I think you guys are going to dig it. And uh, big shout out to uh, my buddy Lance for hanging out and uh, going to see movies with me. Uh, big shout out to all of the fans of the show, people that I. I'm meeting people on the street that listen to the show, which is always strange. Um, so thank you, everyone, for the support. And as always, I will see you next Tuesday.